welcome to another edition of Two Strike Noise. Uh, I am one of your hosts, Jeff Paulson, uh, sitting uh, actually not in the same studio as me this week is uh, my co-host, Mark A. Johnson. Mark, you are out in the nether somewhere. Yeah, um, I, I'm in an undisclosed location as uh, usual when... Uh, the- we can't can't let anybody know yeah yeah the threat index is really high i don't know what that means in case something happens to one of us the show must go on that's right Uh, and uh (laughs) we wouldn't want to disappoint our our listeners so um yeah i'm i'm here uh hidden away uh squirreled away as it were um you're the designated survivor for this week yeah it's a small little area but uh, it's nice it's cozy and i can hang my cheryl teague's posters and you could not wear pants freely if you don't That's want to. That's the best part about it. <laughs> All right. So uh, as usual, Mark, I'm going to give you a choose your own uh, adventure topic to see what we're going to talk about this show. Uh, first, uh, baseball history again. Yeah. M- maybe a little played out. Well, we're in episode 23. Yeah. Uh, secondly, uh, your second option is you can listen to me uh, hum Old Town Road for 50 minutes. Ooh. Yeah, that that is tough. Um you know, just uh, this is not a personal preference, but I think just based on people that I've talked to that listen to the show, we should probably go with baseball history. <laughs> there's there's enough uh, old town road humming podcasts yeah. that we don't need to fill that yeah. void. I don't know if there's a lot of them, but there's you know enough. Enough, yeah, yeah. Probably probably one is probably more than enough. Yeah. <laughs> so we don't want to we don't want to step on their toes. This is true. <laughs> All right, I agree. I, I think we both did some research this week too, so probably be a good thing if we stuck with the old format. Yeah. Uh, so uh, we we alluded to this uh, a little bit last week uh, when when John was on from Absolute Bunts. Uh, kind of a new thing we're doing. Uh, it's called Kangaroo Court, and this is uh, our listeners' opportunity to tell us that we're idiots which, trust me, they didn't need this segment to do. But uh, this is we're going to kind of run our own kangaroo court here at the beginning of the show when need be to kind of correct anything that maybe we might have... I, I mean, you know, we are fallible, believe it or not. Uh, correct anything that maybe we got wrong in a previous episode. So I've got one here, Mark. Um, last week we talked about the Japanese high school pitcher that got three outs on two pitches yes. in one inning. yes. Theoretically, you know, you could get three outs without throwing a single pitch. Okay, explain this one. So there's there's actually a couple of ways. You can get on base, you know, without having a pitch thrown. You can be intentionally walked, or you can reach via catcher's interference. Okay, So yeah, yeah. let's just say that the first batter is, he gets on via a catcher's interference and then gets picked off. There's one out with no pitches thrown. I think you can see where okay. this is probably going. From yeah, I got, you. I got you. So, that, you know, technically two pitches is, you know, two more than you need to get out, you know, retire an entire <laughs> side. That's true. Yeah, uh, if you're going to do it that way. So um, since I'm reigning over this kangaroo court, I'm going to fine you $50 for that. Uh, oh. I, I rule with an iron fist. And, Man, uh, I guess so. I, uh, I mean, I'll come up with the money. It's just a matter of, you know, I, I hadn't budgeted for it. Next, maybe you, so, maybe, budget. so maybe you don't eat for a couple of days. It's okay. Yeah. No, that's exactly it. I mean, who? everyone knows I could skip a meal once in a while. <laughs> All right. So, Mark, we are dropping this episode on July 9th. 
you know what July 9th is this year in the baseball world? Uh, Tuesday. Tuesday, you are correct. It is also uh, All-Star Tuesday. Oh, yeah, that thing. I am probably not watching it as we speak. You've been to a few All-Star games, haven't you? Yeah, I've been to, I think, three. I was, I was Last year, I think, was my third, either three or four. That's how much of an impression they leave on me. <laughs> um, yeah. I know you were at a good one, though, because you, you were at Cal Ripken's last one. Yeah, when one, it was one I was at, uh, and I, I was actually at one in <clears throat> a different decade that I'm not going to go into. Oh, so you've been to two. So I we've have. we've got it well covered. Yeah. Well covered. Oh, yeah. Well, I thought I thought since this is All Star Week, maybe we do a little All Star, you know, trivia here in our BP segment before we get into our to our bigger topics. You're just trying to make me look silly again, which is fine. Let's do it. Uh, I, I will. I'll ask you a couple of questions here. I think you should have. I mean, you could probably take a wild guess at this first one. Who who hit the first All Star game home run? My my instinct is to answer. You know how like in Sunday school. You would just always raise your hand and say, God, who fill in the blank. You raise your hand. You go, God, um, I'm going to go with Babe Ruth. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. Babe Ruth off of Bill Hallahan in 1933, which happened to be the very first All-Star game. Oh, 1933. There you go. So uh, there's been at least one All-Star game every year since, except for 1945, where World War II kind of got in the way. So there was no. Uh, no game in 45. Uh, 1962 was the first time there was an MVP named. Oh, wow. 62. Uh, that was, yeah, 62. That was also the last year that there were two All-Star games. So it, it's kind of weird. Uh, between 1959 and 1962, they would play two All-Star games. No kidding. And they did this... Uh, simply for money (laughs) but the money the money was actually for the players pension fund so the players were on board like you know right today players would be like uh no thank you yeah no we don't want to we're not going to play more games right uh but the the 19 the 1959 version which was the very first one that they played two games the games were 27 days apart (laughs) what okay so there was one in July and one in August. After that, they would play them back to back. But uh, I'm I'm kind of glad I I'm kind of over the All Star game as it is, so I'm kind of glad we don't have two. But the uh, the very first year that 1962 where there were MVPs, Maury Wills of the Dodgers won the first one, and then Leon Wagner of the Angels took home the honors in the second game 27 days later. Gotcha. All right, here's one uh, on which the answer is not Babe Ruth. Most all-star games played in. Um, boy, Ripken comes to mind. Um, you know, Pete Rose used to play every year, and he he played until he was like ninety. So, yep, he is not on the very tippy top of this list. Uh, Hank Aaron made the squad twenty-five times. <laughs> wow, wow! Now you have to remember, uh, he along with uh, the the in second place is a tie. Uh, between Willie Mays and Stan Musial at 24. Uh, I'm not, I don't think Stan was still playing, although I'm guessing he must have, when there were two games. So, you know, a lot of these guys during those uh, four years where they played two games, they played, you know, they got credit for eight All-Star games. Oh, okay, sure. So so there, there's a little caveat there, but Miguel Cabrera is the active leader right now at 11. 
Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. This one I think you should you should be able to get. It's a, a friend of the podcast is the answer. Oldest player elected. Elected. So, you know, pitchers are not elected. So We're going to say they're elected. We're going to say they're elected. Elected to play. How about that? Oh, so, uh, selected. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Nolan Ryan? No. Satchel Page. Satchel Page. At what they were guessing was 47 years and seven months. And as we've covered, no one knew how old he was, so yeah. he could have been 82 at the time. Somewhere around the 100 mark. He was near the half century mark yeah, when right. he was in the All-Star game. That's it. Yeah. Dude was incredible. Yeah. Uh, youngest to ever appear? Youngest. You have a guess? Um, Joe Nooks Hall. Doc Gooden. Oh, sure. That makes sense. 19 years, 7 months, 24 days. 19-year-old in the All-Star game. 19-year-old in the All-Star game. Pitching, That's nonetheless. Incredible. Yeah. Wow. And you, I mean, you remember Doc Gooden was... Oh, he was, he he was, was the man. It, yeah. Uh, speaking of the man, most home runs in an All-Star game. Just That was a big hint. Wild guess. I'm going to go with Stan Musial. There you go. Six home runs for Stan Musial. Dad, did you know he was afraid of the dark? I did not. Yeah, I, I heard that on Happy Days. Sorry, I just had to, had to throw that out <laughs> well, there. And is there truly any more trusting source <laughs> no, I mean, uh, than Happy Days? No, dude, if it's the Fonz or Richie saying it, it's gospel. Happy Days was really like Wikipedia before the internet. Pretty much, straight up, yeah, I agree. Uh, some dark days of the uh, All-Star Game, the year 2003 through 2016, the winner got home field advantage in the World Series. Yeah, you, that was so dumb. You, you didn't like that? that well, because nobody, nobody that's playing cares. Well, you know, maybe a couple of guys do because they might be in first place and they're like, oh, I wanna, if I make the World Series, I want to be at home. But how do you decide something that important on a game that nobody wants to even be there? Well, but see, that's the thing. It was supposed to make people actually want to be there. Now, it didn't no. succeed, but Did that was the work. point. <laughs> so uh, one of the highlights of All-Star Weekend, and I'll admit this is, this is fun. Uh, you know, I think it's much more fun than the game is the Home Run Derby. Oh, I This started that. in 1985. Okay. And uh, from 85 through 90, the Home Run Derby was structured as a two-inning event where each batter got five outs per inning. And if you didn't hit a home run, it was an out. Since 91, it was expanded for, uh, to eight to ten players. And there were, you know, there were rounds, and it eventually got to what it is today. It's one of those things they tweak, it seems like, every year. But I thought that the names uh, of the 85 Home Run Derby were really interesting. Okay. So... Cal Ripken took place. He came in last with only one home run. Uh, Ryan Sandberg, Steve Garvey, Jack Clark tied for seventh with two home runs. Wow. Jim Rice, Eddie Murray, Dale Murphy, Carlton Fisk, and Tom Brunanski all tied for second with two. And the very first champion of the Home Run Derby in 1985, which, by the way, was held in the Metrodome in Minneapolis, was Dave Parker, the newly elected into the Hall of Game at the Negro League Museum, Dave Parker. Dave Parker. Very nice. The Cobra. Yes. He was badass, man. <laughs> he was. <laughs> Did you see? So he got hit at one point. I'll, I'll post a picture of it. He got hit 
and it, I think he got hit in the face with a pitch Aye. and broke his jaw or something. And so instead of like wearing a face mask or something like they wear today, he wore an old school hockey mask. <laughs> That's awesome. And it was like half of it was white and half of it was was gold or maybe it was black because he was on the Pirates when this happened. Can you imagine uh, any more intimidating thing than the Cobra coming up to home plate wearing one of those masks and like swinging a bat? It's like your ultimate nightmare times two, your ultimate baseball nightmare and then uh, like a Friday the 13th rehashed. Yeah, that that's a great picture. I'll I'll, I'll post that on Twitter and, and Instagram. Um, all right, so let's do uh, let's do our final segment before we get into the the main uh, topics for this week. Let's look at some debuts. Uh, this is people that debuted in the major leagues on today, July 9th. So first, I have got a. I, I'm this was one of my favorite players growing up. Twink twinning. Twink um, twinning. Twink twinning he uh his entire baseball career was encompassed on one day um and you can guess what day that was um and uh, he was a pitcher his full name was howard earl twink twinning but he had a nickname of doc which i don't understand because he's already got a nickname of twink (laughs) so wait wait you sure twink wasn't his real name no, it's it's Howard Earl, and then in quotes, Twink Twinning, and then the first like line of his his bio says, "Nicknamed Doc." <laughs> that doesn't make any sense at all. Okay. When do you when when do you when you have a nickname? Is it like oh, you probably need a second one? I I I, I don't get it. I mean, he wasn't even that good. He pitched one game, two innings pitched, four runs, three runs, all earned a home run, a walk, and a hit batter. So pretty average performance. Maybe he just had a, a very winning personality. He was so over the top that he needed two nicknames in order to truly describe who he was, a twink as well as a doc. I don't know. Twink twinning, <laughs> 1916. Big day very nice. in the twinning household. Uh, next, and but it's weird how some of these names that we talk about just keep coming up. Uh, Today, July 9th, 1948, Satchel Paige makes his Major League debut at what we think is 41 for the Cleveland Indians. Played only six years in the big leagues. If you want to hear more about Satchel Paige, because there is a ton about Satchel Paige, please go back and listen to our episode on Satchel Paige. Yes. And you'll, you'll probably hear a whole lot about Satchel Paige. We, we, have, uh, we have covered a lot of Satchel Paige uh, and a lot of his career, and we really have barely scratched the surface. No, we could do a Satchel Page podcast every week <laughs> we and probably not run out of material. All right, so that will uh, that'll wrap up our BP segment for this show. Let's uh, flip the ceremonial three-sided coin and uh, call it in the air. Uh, Mark, heads, tails, or side? Oh, uh, I'm going to go with heads. Oh, and it is side. Oh, Landed again? straight up and down. Yep, yeah. every time. It's weird. That is, that is a weird coin you have. It is a weird coin. So I think I'm going to go first this week. Okay, you go first. So a couple of weeks ago, I was going to do, do an episode here on just the 1998 season, but there was so much great information about the home run race between Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire that I ended up just doing it on that. So here it is, the promised... Uh, episode of the 1998 baseball season. Um, So to start the season, 
there were two new teams. The uh, the Diamondbacks and the aforementioned, well, I guess not aforementioned, because they were originally called the Tampa Bay Devil Rays, as right. opposed to just the Rays. Uh, and this was done to keep the number of teams in both leagues even, as well as have one expansion team be in both leagues. And that also, though, facilitated the move of the Brewers from the American League to the National League. Right. Which is where I, I, I'm of the age and got into baseball in the mid 80s that I always think of the Brewers as a an American League team but yeah. you know when they when the Braves were there they were always a National League team and yeah. I think the Brewers might have been in the National League now just as long as they were in the AL I I always I mean I'm starting to come around but still when I think of Milwaukee I think AL I think of Robin Yunt I think of uh you know Paul Molitor those guys they were AL guys I remember you know watching A's games at at County Stadium and yeah. it just seems like American League Baseball to me. Yeah. All right. So the way I'm going to do this, I'm just going to go chronologically. We're going to start in, in February. I guess they took January off. N- nothing noteworthy there. February 2nd. This was big news. It was it was somewhat big news then. But now, I mean, it's it's it, looking back, it's a big thing. February 2nd, the New York Yankees named Brian Cashman the new general manager. So if you remember, Cashman was at that point the youngest person to ever be a general. Now, all the success they've had, you know, over the past 20 years, he's been there for 20 years now. It's Wow. It didn't used to be that way under the Steinbrenner era. Yeah, he just, he did his own thing. Uh, later on in that, uh, uh, in February, February 18th, as a matter of fact, Harry Carey dies at the age of 83. We've covered it. Go back and listen to the life and times of Harry Carey. Yep. Now, though, we're going to get ready for the season. So we're going to jump ahead to March 31st. The Tampa Bay Devil Rays lose their first game to the Detroit Tigers 11-6. to So pitcher Wilson Alvarez takes the loss for Tampa, while third baseman Wade Boggs, who also has his number retired by the Tampa franchise, hit the first home run in team history and drove in three runs. Later that day, the Arizona Diamondbacks drop a 9-2 decision to the Colorado Rockies in their first game. Andy Bennis got the loss for the D-backs. Rookie Travis Lee got three hits, and Kareem Garcia hit the uh, first home run in the franchise history. Uh, Next month, there's Dan Wilson, a catcher. (laughs) <laughs> hit an inside the park grand slam. He did. As the Mariners beat the Tigers 10 to 6. You've never seen a ball roll so much. The 2-2 on the way to Dan Wilson and a swing and a high fly ball belted deep to left center field and get out the ride Brad. No, it comes down at the bottom of the wall. Wilson to third base. Get out the ride Brad of the mustard grab ball. It's going to be an inside the park home run. Wilson slides across safely by. Oh my. Yeah, Dan Wilson. All you have to say is catcher and you can imagine the speed that he possessed. Um, that was the first uh, it, it's the first inside the park grand slam since uh, eight years earlier, which is kind of weird, but Mike Greenwell <laughs> did it in 1990. Wow. <laughs> I would have guessed there'd be like three ever. Yeah, I know, but there was uh, seven. Wow. Or, no, that's not even right. It says, Dan, no, let, let me read my own writing here. Chicken scratch. Dan Wilson's just the seventh catcher.
catcher in Major League history to hit inside the park Grand Slam. Oh, so six other catchers had done this. Man, uh, my my understanding <laughs> of what's difficult in baseball is way off. All these catchers lining up, hitting inside the park Grand Slam, <laughs> fooling us all, making us look like idiots. Sorry, you were saying, I, I apologize. <laughs> All right, so let's fast forward a couple of days to May 6th. Three days later, Chicago Cubs rookie righty Kerry Woods strikes out 20 Houston Astros. Here comes the hook. Got it! 20 strikeouts! He ties the Major League record! Unbelievable! He's got the National League record. He tied... The major league record, a one-hit shutout, two to nothing with 20 strikeouts and no walks. And how about that? The 20-year-old ties the record held by Roger Clemens. Uh, Wood also becomes the second pitcher in baseball history to record a single-game strikeout total equal to his own age. He was 20 years old at that point, struck out 20. Wow. In 1936, this whole, this whole podcast is all tied in together here. In 1936, 17-year-old Bob Feller struck out 17 batters. Wow. That's really Twilight Zone-ish. Yeah. Well, it's funny because once I read that, then I added that Bob Feller trivia at the beginning. So, <laughs> Has a 12-year-old ever struck out 12 in a major league game? Uh, I'll have. To, let me get back to you next week. Okay. Wood strikes out the first five batters of the game and seven in a row between the seventh and ninth innings. And then in his next start on May 11th, a 4-2 win over the Diamondbacks, Wood struck out 13 D-backs mm-hmm. in seven innings. Wow. That's 33 strikeouts over two consecutive games, which set a major league record. Just jump ahead later in the year uh, to August 31st, Kerry Wood throws 135 pitches against the Reds. And believe it or not, wakes up the next morning with a sore elbow. <laughs> yeah. It is the ninth game of the season in which Wood threw 120 or more pitches. My gosh. They shut him down for the remainder of the season. He returned for a one-game playoff before blowing out his elbow in spring training the next year. So That just sucks. I, I remember him, and I remember the promise. Not just the promise. I mean, the promise was shown. He, You know, the, the superstar status the guy had in his arm. Yeah, he was going to be the next Nolan Ryan. He was. All right, so next one, May 15th, uh, one of the biggest trades in recent years. The Dodgers send all-star catcher Mike Piazza and third baseman Todd Zeal to the then Florida Marlins in exchange for outfielders Gary Sheffield, Jim Eisenreich, catcher Charles Johnson, and third baseman Bobby Bonilla and pitcher Manuel Barrios. That is a haul. That's a big trade. Then, uh, just one week later, on May 22nd, the Mets will acquire Piazza from the Marlins in exchange for outfielder Preston Wilson and pitcher Ed Yarnall. May 17th, Yankees pitcher David Wells hurls the 15th perfect game in modern Major League history with a 4 to nothing win over the Minnesota Twins. Wells fanned 11 batters. Bernie Williams picked up three hits, including a home run. Popped up right field near the line. O'Neill appears to have room. He puts it away, and David Wells has pitched a perfect game. 
I mean, this is a full year's worth of news already, and we're only through May 17th. Right. That's <laughs> And just, re- just remember that while we do all this, that home run race between Maguire and Sosa is just starting to, to get going. So all of this is secondary news compared to the home runs. Yes. May 19th. I remember this one vividly. The Yankees and the Orioles engage in a wild, wild brawl. Bernie Williams hits a three-run home run to give the Yankees the lead, and then reliever Armando Benitez plunks Tino Martinez in the back with the next pitch, and the whole place just goes friggin' nuts. I remember Daryl Strawberry. He was on the Yankees. He was falling into dugouts trying to get at people. There were just people throwing haymakers. It would kind of slow down, and then a whole other fight would break out. Oh, that's going to call. Yeah, he's gone. Benches are going to empty. That was a frustration pitch on beneath this point. No need for it. Darren Strawberry's after the man. That was a real cheap shot. Umpire's trying to restore a little order. I thought Tino might step out because the crowd wanted a curtain call from Bernie. And Benitez, because of all the frustration. Oh, oh my They're after him. This is getting ugly now. This fight went on for like 10 minutes, and it was just, it was a nasty fight. Wow. I, I kind of remember that. Uh, I just remember um, there being a bunch of suspensions at one point. Yeah, and I think they had to. I think they had to uh, stagger them because I think there were so many suspensions that they couldn't, you know, leave a team with, you know, nineteen players right. for a game because six of them were suspended at one time. <laughs> I'll tell you what. I will throw. A, I'll throw a, a link in the show notes for that one as well, because uh, that is a crazy fight yeah, that's one of those rare baseball fights where people are actually really yeah. swinging at each other normally it's uh i got hit i'm gonna run out hold me back hold duck, me back guys. and then everybody yeah. hugs for a little while yeah. may 28th um this is an, this is a very famous game arizona leading the giants eight to six in the bottom of the ninth inning with the bases loaded and manager buck showalter yes orders reliever greg olson to intentionally walk barry bonds yes to bring home the Giants' seventh run, that's so the lead would is then one run. Olson five walks in the nine batters that he has faced, and, and they're walking him with the bases loaded and intentional walk to Barry Bonds. Unbelievable! It's only the fourth bases loaded intentional walk in Major League history, and the first since 1944. <laughs> wow, I remember that. I remember thinking, "You've got to be kidding me." And then looking and saying, well, the year Barry's having, I could get that. Yeah, and I mean, just think that wasn't even Bonds. You know, this was the year that Bonds was just green with jealousy that he wasn't included in the home run race and, you know, like upped his PED intake to gargantuan levels. No comment. Next one, June 10th, the New York Yankees' Tim Raines steals the 800th base of his career. He becomes just the fifth player in history to reach that milestone. I had to throw that in there because I love me some stolen bases. That's a lot of stolen bases, man. That is. You know, Reigns never got the attention he deserved for stealing that many bases, mostly because he played in Montreal. Well, and he also played at the exact same. I mean, his career almost 
ran parallel with Ricky Henderson. Yeah. And, you know, you're just, you're not going to overshadow Ricky Henderson if you're a leadoff batter and stealing bases. Right. Yep. Yep. But boy, was he something. He was. And and I think he's, he's fodder for another, another uh, episode because he, he's got a really interesting story. And it wasn't until recently that I really appreciated him because as a, as a, especially I was young at that point and a Ricky Henderson fan, I thought of him as like a wannabe, but dude, I think rain, you know, he was, he's a legit hall of famer. Oh yeah. I, I'm glad he, I'm glad he got in. Me too. All right. Let's fast forward to July 9th. I don't know. I, you could see this as a dark day in baseball history. Bud Selig is elected as the ninth commissioner of baseball. Oh yes. Bud Selig, who, by the way, owned the Milwaukee Brewers. Yes, he he is an owner, and you know the commissioner of baseball who he works for? The owners. Yeah. So uh, nine days after that, July 18th, another thing that I am sure you will remember, the Mariners host the Royals in a turn-ahead-the-clock game. I do remember that, yes. Hilarious stuff. This So a couple of notes from this game. The Mariners borrowed Orbit, the Astros uh, mascot, to serve as a co-mascot with the Mariner Moose. The ceremonial first pitch was delivered by a robot to James Doohan, better known as Scotty from (laughs) Star Trek, who was shuttled to the mound in a DeLorean. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. Now, if you remember these jerseys, I will post uh, plenty of pictures from this game, but the, the... uniforms are something the royals tops are gold and then they've got different colored pants both teams are not wearing sleeves Uh, the original concept was that both teams would wear their jerseys untucked but then that was nixed because it would be too easy to get hit by a pitch at that point since you just have to your jersey's nicked and that's a hit by pitch so they did they did eventually tuck their jerseys in uh, the Mariners added three teams to their league standings that circled uh, the outfield wall. They added the Mercury Fire, the Saturn Rings, and the Pluto Mighty Pups. <laughs> now, is that a is that a Disney reference? I think it's a, a Disney reference without being a Disney reference, so there's no lawsuit involved. All right, July thirty first. Uh, we've talked about this in the past. Well, this is a very Mariners centric podcast today the houston astros acquire randy johnson from the seattle mariners for three minor league players johnson had quite a rest of the season in houston oh yes he pitched in 11 regular season games for the astros he had a 10 and 1 record with a 1.28 era 116 strikeouts in 84 and a third innings and pitched four complete game shutouts wow that's completely ridiculous he, I think he was, uh, he was, you know, trying to prove something after getting traded. Oh yeah, and prove it he, he did. He had a chip on his shoulder, didn't he? Yeah. Johnson finished seventh in the National League Cy Young voting, despite pitching <laughs> only two months in the league. <laughs> in the National League. Oh, <laughs> in the crazy. National League, and he helped Houston win their second straight NL Central Division title. He sure did. August fourteenth, Baltimore's Chris Hoyles hammers two grand slams in one game off the Cleveland Indians. Wow. First one off of Charles Nagy, and then the second one off of Rich Becker. It's an easy eight ribs right there. August 31st. Let's just 
let's get in the proper frame of mind for this one. Oakland's Ricky Henderson scores the 2,000th run of his career in the A's 15-6 loss to Cleveland. He joined Ty Cobb, Hank Aaron, Babe Ruth, Pete Rose, and Willie Mays as the only players to reach the milestone. Ricky also ends up leading the league in stolen bases with 66 and walks with 118 for the final time in his career at age 39. Wow. So September 20th, this was a big day as well. I'm telling you, so many things happened in the season. It's incredible. September 20th, Cal Ripken Jr. of the Orioles takes himself out of the lineup prior to the game with the New York Yankees to end his major league record consecutive game streak at 2,632. That's that's a record that, well, we said it would always stand when Lou Gehrig had it, but uh, boy, even tougher. Yeah. I mean, that's that's an incredible mark. September 24th, uh, Boston Red Sox pitcher Tom Gordon records his 42nd consecutive save of the year to set a new mark. Uh, Rod Beck and Trevor Hoffman shared the old mark at 41. A couple of days after that, on September 22nd, the Cincinnati Reds defeat the Pittsburgh Pirates 4-1, and I do not remember this at all. Cincinnati used a pair of brothers in the infield with Brett Boone at second and Aaron Boone at third, and they also had Barry Larkin at short and his brother Stephen at first. What? I don't remember that. I don't remember Stephen Larkin at all. I remember a Gene Larkin, but definitely not related. Stephen Larkin <laughs> played in one game. <laughs> <laughs> so this, I, I'm guessing the Reds were probably out of it at this point and uh, wanted to wanted somebody in a baseball history podcast. You know, 20 years later to talk about it. To discuss it. Yeah, absolutely. And Way to go, Red. Cincinnati. Good job, Reds. <laughs> that wasn't some kind of like weird promo or anything like that. You really wanted to promote the guy. You made it happen. That's right, Cincinnati. We love you. All right. <laughs> so the last major occurrence, you know, minus the home run race at this point, which is coming down to the final week of the season, September 22nd. Recording his first ever Major League win, a 2-1 to decision over the Detroit Tigers at the Sky Dome. Roy Holiday of the Blue Jays, just a week removed from his Major League debut, has what would have been the second no-hitter in Blue Jays history, broken up by Bobby Higginson, who had a home run with two outs in the top of the ninth inning, the only hit he will allow. So just looking at the standings uh, after the regular season, the Florida Marlins finished last after winning the World Series the year prior. They finished with a 54-108 record, only 52 games behind the pace of the Atlanta Braves, and with a worse record than both the expansion Devil Rays and Diamondbacks. Wow. Wow. So the postseason ends. The New York Yankees win the World Series, sweeping the San Diego Padres in four straight. Yankees third baseman Scott Brocious, Oregon native, who we mentioned last week, is named the series MVP. And the Yankees end the season with a major league record 125 combined regular season and postseason wins, which I believe is probably still the record, isn't it? I believe the, so. When Mariners won 116, then they Mariner the you know the playoffs right. and didn't go anywhere. So that there it is. That's the the nineteen eighty nine. Now, if we, we talked about three weeks ago just how incredible that home run race is. We removed that completely from this, and I still didn't mention everything that happened in this year. Those are just the highlights 
it was, as judged by me. It, yeah. Well, and you're the final arbiter on this sort of thing, I think, just personally. So there, in a nutshell, is the 1998 Major League Baseball season. And wow, what a season it was. So uh, that does it for me. Mark, what, uh, what, are we, what are you going to talk about this week? Well, I want to talk about the 1990 season. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> that would be a little silly. No, I, I want to talk about, um, we'll go a little further back um, to 1857 when this guy was born. His name was Mike Kelly, eventually known as King Kelly. He was baseball's very first superstar. Uh, he uh, was the first player to author an autobiography and the subject of the first ever hit single in the history of the United States of America and the first to have a successful acting career. So a bit of a renaissance man, didn't live a long life, but the uh, years he had, he definitely put a lot of of time and effort into it. I don't know if the guy slept or not, but uh, (laughs) uh, just a little background. Mike Kelly was born in uh, Troy, New York in 1857. His parents had left Ireland in the 1840s because of the infamous potato famine. So they came to uh, Troy, New York and settled. And uh, back then, just to give you some time, uh, just to give you a, a reference of time here, what's going on. The United States in 1857, there were 31 states and 31 million people lived here. Uh, Mike Kelly was born three years before Abraham Lincoln's election and the start of the Civil War. His dad fought for the Union in the Civil War. Uh, Mike Kelly worked in coal mines, uh, and he played baseball every second he was out of the coal mines. Does it seem like a lot of these old players worked in coal mines? Was that like the number one job? Well, I I know a lot of these old-timey players, they always credit working in the coal mines for building their strength up. Which makes total sense, absolutely. Yeah. Um, he got recognized in 1876, um, and he was put on a semi-pro team. I did notice a great nickname on this team. Their star player was named Edward Sylvester Nolan. Great name. So Edward Sylvester Nolan was known as the only Nolan. I have heard of this. He was a pitcher, wasn't he? He was, and he was very good. Unbeknownst to him, but announced to us, 93 years later, another Nolan would make his big league debut. I'm just saying he wasn't the only Nolan in the long run. Um, Mike Kelly was a catcher. He was, he did a very, uh, he uh, outperformed everybody on his little local team was picked up by the Cincinnati red stockings. He was made an outfielder and he was very good, a natural out there, but he also remained a backup catcher. In 1879, Mike Kelly decided he was going to be an awesome ball player and he hit 348 on the season and impressed everybody uh, with his, uh, he was quite the showman, very likable. He uh, had a, a stage presence, even out on the field. Um, he had this famous heads up play I read about in a couple of different places. Uh, he slid into second and uh, the Chicago White Stockings, which were, and this, this is, I'm telling you this for a reason, they were managed by Cap Anson. The second baseman on this team tagged Kelly and thought he was out. The umpire called him safe. And, of course, there's only one umpire at this time. So during the argument, Kelly slowly walks away. No one's paying attention. He walks, steps on third, walks home, and scores the run. Timeout was never called. (laughs) So I guess you could say he walked home, but it wasn't 
via a base on balls. But th- that's a famous play he did. And Cap Anson took note. And uh, <laughs> he, he, he actually liked that. He liked what happened there. King Kelly went out after that. He went on this barnstorming tour in California. He, he loved California and he had a great time there. He uh, was quite, again, quite the showman. People really enjoyed watching him. And uh, Cap Anson did not forget that uh, interesting move that Mike Kelly made against his team. And he signed him to the White Stockings. And uh, that was Albert Spaulding's team, by the way. Yep. So owned by Albert Spaulding, managed by Cap Anson. Mike Kelly was now brought in as an outfielder and backup catcher. Here's something interesting about Mike Kelly. He was the very first player to use a catcher's glove, a catcher's mask, and a chest protector. Smart man. Very, very smart man. I can't imagine not using those things prior to that, but okay. But maybe he wanted to keep all his teeth for his future vaudeville career or something. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, he was the first one to put all those uh, pieces of equipment into use. He, he, There were a lot of firsts with, with Mike Kelly. Let's see. He During that season, uh, the first game of the year, he hit a home run for the White Stockings. And that was 25% of the team's total home runs for the season in four. <laughs> so, you know, good for him um, for, for start out, starting that out with a, with a bang. Um, the, the White Stockings went 67 and 17 that year, 15 games ahead of second place Providence. Uh, they had a 798 winning percentage, and that is still a National League record. So, um, and a lot of that was due to Mr. Kelly came up with some uh, some innovations in baseball, aside from the ones we've discussed already. Uh, he invented the hit and run. He would start batters and then, you know, make sure that the batters made contact behind him. Um, he experimented with different types of bunts and trying to get the ball past the infielders, and he created the hook slide, which back in his day, because he created it, it was called the Chicago Slide, which oh, was also nice. a very popular dance, I believe. Why is it still not referred to as the Chicago slide? I don't know. It should be. Don't you think? You could get on first via Baltimore chop and then steal second with the Chicago slide. Can you put a, like a little drum roll in there? That was good. <laughs> <laughs> um, a little note from uh, a baseball historian, uh, McLean Kennedy, who is one of my favorite historians. He saw Kelly. I've got his poster. Do you? Yeah, he's, a, he's the man. <laughs> Uh, he saw Kelly play, and he wrote, and this is a quote, there was never a better or more brilliant player, colorful beyond description. He was the light and the life of the game. He was one of the quickest thinkers that ever took a signal. He originated more trick plays than all players put together. As a drawing card, he was the greatest of his time. Fandom around the circuit always welcomed the Chicago team with the great Anson and his lieutenant, King Kelly. And that's where it came from. So then, from then on, he was King Kelly. So King Kelly, um, in the next couple seasons, would uh, would uh, do pretty well. In 1884, he hit 354, which was good in the dead ball era, and in 86 he hit 388. So the guy could play some ball. He also uh, was quite good at cutting bases, meaning he would run a good 15 feet inside second or third base when the umpire <laughs> wasn't looking. Now, I have a note here when you told me you were doing King Kelly, and I have an all caps and an exclamation point. King Kelly was a known cheater. <laughs> he was famous for the skip play yeah. in which 
with only one umpire in the game, he would not touch the bases as he rounded them. That's right. Now, cheating is such a harsh word. You know, I think he merely took advantage of the situation. I mean, think about it. Say he's on like second base and there's a grounder to second. So he's watching the throw to first. King Kelly just like runs over the pitcher's yeah. mound to home plate. Exactly. As long as the umpire, like maybe out of the corner of his eye, saw someone moving in the right direction, I <laughs> yeah, guess that was good enough. He's good. Yeah. Yeah. So we could also thank King Kelly for the idea that there are more than one umpire. Uh, more than one umpire <laughs> is out there, and the umpires union needs to uh, induct King Kelly into their un- into their Hall of Fame. You know what I'm saying? If he were an umpire today, King Kelly would still be better than C.B. Buckner or Angel Hernandez. Wow. Just saying. Wow. Hot take. Hot take. You know, on on this show, you are the controversial one. I just wanted to point that out. (laughs) Yes, those two widely known as fantastic umpires. (laughs) Sorry, I can't. I, I, yeah. Anyway, moving on. Those two are, are, are definitely major league umpires. That's all I'm going to say. And they are probably listeners, and now we've lost them. Oh, man. See, we need every listener we can get. We do. Even Kim Jong-un. I mean, bring them all. <laughs> well, he's a basketball fan. He doesn't oh. like baseball. Yeah, so he's probably not listening. Okay, so anyway, back on to um, the White Stockings. Played there through 1886, and they sold him to the Boston Bean Eaters for an exorbitant sum. Gasp. They all gasped. which was a chunk of money back then. And the Boston Bean Eaters were stoked to get someone that was from then on referred to as King Kelly, the $10,000 beauty, which is really a baseball nickname you want to have. Um, (laughs) Who's that? That's the $10,000 beauty. Oh, wow. What a stud. Uh, Boston did not win any pennants, but he continued to be a great box office draw. People came from all over to see to see King Kelly play in, uh, in 1891. He returned to Cincinnati as captain of a newly established American Association Club. Uh, they were generally known as the Reds, but often called Kelly's Killers because mm-hmm. of Kelly's strong presence. And his career ended after the 1893 season. We'll get into that a little bit more later. So why did I go through his career so quickly, you ask? Why did you go through his career so quickly? Well, I'll tell you. So I can discuss the off-the-field stuff as well, because that's really interesting stuff. There was uh, back in the day where um, recordings, musical recordings, were starting to become popular. Most of the recordings were of choirs, organs, and stuff like that. People hadn't really figured out what to put on you know, a, a permanent recording as far as, as what people would buy and so on. So they, there was a song called Slide, Kelly Slide. And I run like a driven through when the gang began to yell, oh, slide, Kelly Slide, you're running bad and great. Slide, Kelly Slide, there, how's your face? If someone doesn't... And it was about King Kelly and his hook slide. And uh, I actually saw it performed once on uh, uh, Baseball Goes to the Opera. It was very interesting. I'd never heard the song before, but it's 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 a it's a song. I won't say anything about it, positive or negative. You know, it's <laughs> there's there. definitely music and words. It's and... there, you know. But anyway, this thing sold like nobody's business. It ended up being America's very first pop hit record. So I just thought that was so cool. Uh, Edison Studios released it. So you know, this is up until then there hadn't been any pop hits. Along comes King Kelly. 
boom, slide, Kelly slide, number one hit. There, there was no number two or three or anything like that. But, you know, you know what I'm saying? Pop hit, incredibly popular. He's also known as the first man to popularize autographing. People would pursue him, uh, follow him around, and he would sign their papers or whatever they wanted signed to prove that, yes, they did meet King Kelly. And that's kind of what started autographing and back in the, the 1890s, which I thought was interesting because I love autographs. And we have King Kelly, at least partially, to thank for that sort of thing. There were uh, all kinds of the Irish saloons and everything would, would name themselves after or post giant posters of King Kelly everywhere. He was incredibly popular. He came out with an autobiography called Playball. And uh, I mean, think about this. This is the 1880s, 1890s. And, and he came out with an autobiography. I just think that's amazing. Uh, it was put together by a Boston Globe reporter named John Drohan, but written by King Kelly himself. Um, after that, he decided he wanted to be an actor. He was considered a natural born comedian. And so there weren't, you know, a lot of moving pictures uh, at quite at this time. So he became a vaudevillian stage performer. And he, uh, let me see, I have this written down. He made his play debut in a play called A Rag Baby playing, and I love the name, playing the character of Dusty Bob. <laughs> that sounds like a nickname <laughs> of somebody you might have encountered on the diamond. It's, you got to love someone named Dusty Bob. You know, was he really dusty or would he just, you know, it, it makes you wonder. So uh, in vaudeville, after that, he joined vaudeville, and that was just, you know, basically your, your burlesque shows, your, you know, the guys come out, and you got your comics, you got, you know, your, your com comedy teams and so on. He played a country bumpkin, and he would come out, and his, he would be where he would say, uh, uh, you know, I'm just not used to these clothes, you know, and his, his shirt would be, you know, buttoned wrong, and his, his jacket would be on inside out and stuff like that. And people loved it. They loved the country bumpkin thing about him. And uh, he became really popular touring with vaudeville. They would actually use him as uh, uh, a device to get people to show up. They put up King Kelly, you know, up on the marquee. Yeah, they would even put up King Kelly up on the marquee, and people would come from miles around to see the great vaudevillian, former baseball player, the king himself, King Kelly. Uh, something else interesting, you might have heard that the poem Casey at the Bat was written about King Kelly. You would have heard wrong. But yeah, I had not heard that one. That's interesting. It was the rumor for years, and uh, even Mr. Kelly himself kind of furthered those rumors uh, by saying, yeah, it might have been about me. The author of the poem said he just wanted to write about a generally, just a generalized Irish baseball player. It, it helped his image to be the subject of Casey at the Bat, the most popular poem at the time. So there's all that great stuff that he did on and off the field. And of course, in 1894, he died of pneumonia, like all of the subjects that I talk about on this show. He caught a cold on a ship, and a little sniffle turned into a cold, the cold turned into pneumonia, and he passed away at a very early age. So I apologize again for ending my segment with a very sad, sad story and a sad ending. You kill all your guys early. I do, I do. I don't know what the deal is. They all die young. It's not my fault, though. It's not like I'm cursing them because they're already dead. If I was doing a story about them and then they died, I'd quit doing stories. King Kelly. That's a good one. I, I did not know much about King Kelly. I 
reading a book recently that referenced him for a chapter or two, but that that's very interesting. Yes, Larger Than Life, the first real superstar in baseball history. All right, well, thank you very much, Mark. That was great. Today we have covered the 1998 baseball season and King Kelly. I don't think you can get much better than that. Pretty much. But somehow we're going to try. Yeah, let's do it. We're going to try. Let's, I'm naming it. We're going back to Wax Packs Hero. Okay. I like that. Uh, Simply because last week Ben actually knew what song I was referencing and that gave me the confidence to go ahead. And I'm going to order the song. Uh, Hollywood, everyone there has been waiting uh, for me to just put in the order to have that song. One of these times we'll have it, but we're going to go with no theme song today, but we are going to go ahead and play Wax Packs Hero. In case you're just joining us, this is a newer game that we play where I have uh, procured some wax packs from the late 80s, early 90s. And what we do is when it's just Mark and I, I will randomly grab two packs. We will each choose one and then using Beckett's as our guide, we will open them and see who has the more expensive pack. So this is only the second time we've gone head to head. You won the first one quite easily, so you're up one to nothing. Uh, I have grabbed two packs for us today. I have got a 1990 Donruss, and I've got a 1988 Tops, which has gum in it, I can tell you right now. Send that up here, man. My friend Nick will chew it right now. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so I'm going to put one in my left hand, one in my right hand. I'm hiding it behind my monitor so you can't see it. it. See, Which I, hand do you want? I'm not a fan of those 90 Donruss. Those, they're the red cards, right? I don't know. I haven't opened I it yet. I think more of those exist than any books at the Library of Congress. But I will go ahead and go with... I went with the right hand last time, so I'm going to go with the right hand again. All right. You have chosen the 88 tops. Oh, good. Yes. All right. So I am going to work my way. Here's 88 tops in... Uh, in Beckett's, uh, the commons are worth one cent. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do go with the lowest value listed. Um, the 88 tops, there are probably about 30 cards here that are not considered commons. And there's that stick of gum. Mm. <laughs> mm. Just let, Let's see. Can I? I'm going to tap it here with a pen, and let's just see what happens. Get it on my... Oh, there, there it is go. now in... Oh, no. A little brutal. Did it shatter? Oh, no. Shattered gum. All over the floor. The dogs are eyeing it. That I think. <laughs> we do have a lot of dogs in our studio. We, we share our studio space with a, an animal rescue shelter. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So let's, uh, let's go through these. First of all, all right, you start off with Juan Castillo of the Brewers, pitcher, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, nope. Shortstop, second baseman. Mm. Common. John Marzano of the Red Sox. John Marzano. He's a catcher. Catcher, right? Yes, he was a an MVP in the USA-Korea series of 1983, and he played in the Pan Am games as well. This is back yeah, when, when Topps had actual information on the back. It's cool. Yeah, and I appreciated his... Uh... His abilities in that Korean series. I remember that was a yeah. big deal. Oh, the Pan Am games. I was all over those. Oh, yeah. Everybody loves those. Next, we've got Jim, Lin- Jim Lindemann from the Cardinals, outfielder. Hmm. Uh, not much here so far, Mark. You've got three comments. 
I'm in a little trouble. Yeah. Uh, here's a first name that most people recognize, BJ Surhoff. And he's hey. got a catcher's he's got his catcher's mitt with him. Right. He was a catcher then, huh? Left handed yes, hitting he was. catcher. This is this is his rookie card. And oh, you're sweet. right, a, a left handed hitting catcher. Four ninety one. I'm gonna guess it's probably still yeah, it's still considered a common, but that's a good card. Oh, it should be worth at least a nickel. <laughs> All right, now we've got an athletic who I don't remember, Rick Rodriguez. Rick Rodriguez played in Tacoma pitcher. for a while. Yeah, he was a pitcher starter, at least for Tacoma. Not a bad a right-hander, right? Uh, He was a righty. You are correct. Yeah, and I mean, at least in Tacoma, he was solid innings eater kind of guy. Uh, in 1986, he threw 139 innings in Tacoma. There you go. With 59 walks and 76 strikeouts. There you go. But he is, he's a common, believe it or not. Uh, yeah. All right. We've got more. We've got Greg Brock with the Brewers. I remember him as a first baseman for the Dodgers, but it's a okay card. Common. Steve Bouchelle, who we've had before. Talked about him managing Steve, in the minor leagues. Steve Boucher, who, by the way, I really love in the movies. You know, he was great in, uh, oh, wait, I'm thinking of Steve Buscemi. Yeah. Yeah, move his on. Eyes, his eyes are normal. Yeah. Next, we've got Steve Lyons. He's quite a character. Does he still do any uh, any TV? I know he used to be on Fox. Probably best known for sliding into first base head first. And then it, when he was, at the, I think he was with the Red Sox. I know it was in Fenway. And then he stood up and pulled his pants down to get the dirt out. Yes. Forgot where he was. Yes, just for a second. Now, I think he still does some some television. Uh, I've seen him around. Uh, next, we've got John Cruck with the Padres. I was a big John Cruck fan. I Gotta love John that. Cruck. And this happens. Nope, this is not his rookie card. It's his second year. 596. Uh, that is considered a common Next, we've got Todd Froworth, reliever for the Phillies. It's a common. Alan Anderson, a uh, pitcher for the Twins, which is a common. <laughs> so far, so good, man. Yeah, it's, I, I I have a chance this 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 week. And next, we've got Andy Van Slick. Andy oh, Van Slyke. Yes. With the Pirates, I I love Andy Van Slyke. I think he's is he coaching with the Dodgers with his son playing. I. I know he's coaching somewhere. He was wasn't he with the Mariners for a while? Yeah, I think he was a couple of years ago. Yeah. Next, we've got Darnell Coles, Pirates utility infielder. Uh, Joe Necro. Oh, there you How go. How about that? Now I have to put on my glasses to read the back of his card <laughs> because I believe his rookie year he actually debuted with King Kelly. <laughs> he debuted in 1967. What? So there's 20 years worth of statistics on the back of Joe Negro's card here. Uh, but it is considered a common. And finally, one of my favorite relievers for the A's ever, Gene Nelson. Gino. Oh, yeah. Very nice. Wow, I, like I think him. I scored the minimum score possible. One, two, Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen cards, all of which were commons for a total of fifteen cents. Yes, but but I'd like to throw BJ Surhoff rookie out there just as uh, you know, honorable mention. I that I think that was your best card. Yeah. All right, so I get a nineteen ninety uh Donruss, which does not have any gum, thankfully, but they have been nice enough. To glue the back of the wax pack to the last card in Great. the pack. <laughs> 
So I got that working against me. Don't uh, have that card graded, whatever you do. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep that one out. All right, what did I what year did I say this was? Ninety. All right, so you are correct. The Don Russ are these just butt ugly red cards mm-hmm. with like black paint splattered across them and uh not a good looking card i think they had extra card stock lying around and that's what they came through with yeah not not a good looking set here commons for the 80 uh, for the 90 Donruss are one cent so we're on a level playing field uh, i'm going to start off with frank depino pitcher for the cardinals common kind of remember him Next, uh, here we go. This is very, you know, we're talking about the 98 season. A Mark McGuire All-Star card. Nice. Uh, Number uh, 697. 20 cents. No way. 20 cents. Uh, I've already been defeated. You have. (laughs) McGuire has just knocked you out of the game right out of the the number two hole. Uh, Next, we've got uh, current A's third base coach, Matt Williams. Oh, sure, for the Giants. An awesome yeah. third baseman. Yeah, I did not realize how many gold gloves he won. I think he won three, actually. He was good. Uh, out there. Our, he's considered a common. Oh, wow. What a pack. Bo Jackson. Whoa. Hey, there you go. Vincent Bo Edward Jackson. Uh, but he likewise is considered a common, but that is a great card in his Kansas City Powder Blues. There you go. Next, we've got Luis Rivera, shortstop for the Red Sox. Uh, uh, next, the member of the Nasty Boys, Rob Dibble. Oh, one of my least favorite players of all time. Well, he is a common. Yes, he is. Next, we've got Ron Oyster. O- Oster, not Oyster. <laughs> Second baseman for the Reds. <laughs> uh, Kevin Seitzer, third baseman. Pretty good third baseman Kevin for the Royals. Alka Seitzer. Alka Seitzer? Yes. Uh, here we go. Mitch Williams, wild thing. Oh, wild the Cubs. Thing. But uh, he is considered a common. Uh, Paul Molitor, MVP card. There you go. But I don't, I don't see anything listed here, which is disappointing because I thought that was going to be big money. But I'll well, call that a common. I've already won, so it doesn't yeah, matter. Yeah, what does it matter? You're just rubbing it in now. Next, we've got Billy Ripken in the exact same pose. As his famous uh, baseball card, but this bat, this his this bat is all black, so you can't see if there's anything written on the knob. <laughs> uh, next, Ellis Burks, who we mentioned earlier for his inside the park grand slam in you know. 1990, solid uh, player for the Red Sox. Yeah, common player according to Beckett. We've got Dave Johnson, a pitcher. Terry Paul, Terry Paul, an outfielder for the Astros. Uh, here we go. Another athletic Walt Weiss. Hey, I'm sure. That's a common though. It is. And then my final card in the pack is a Don Russ King of Kings. Nolan Ryan. Oh man. I'm glad you won. That makes me happy to know that Nolan's on the winning team. <laughs> okay. Now, apparently this card, um, there are two versions of this card. There is an error card which is only worth 30 cents and then the correct is worth 60. Whoa. Now, I don't it does not tell me what the air is. Looking on the back, the actual information is off center. So I'm going to assume that this is the error card, which is usually worth more, but in this case is worth less. But um that is so I'm going to give myself 30 cents on that. 
So between two cards, I have 50 cents. So I have 64 cents compared to your 15. Wow. So that was a, a blowout to even the series at one to one. And now I got to dust all of this gum dust off of my microphone, too, by the way. <laughs> gum dust. Gum uh, dust. It was an everyday wow. occurrence in uh, podcasts back in the 80s. Oh. Except there were none. <laughs> but other than that, you know. <laughs> all right. So that evens the series at one apiece. So we're, we'll see where it goes from there. Uh, Mark, this was fun. Uh, we had a couple of good stories. Yeah. A couple of, well, one good pack of baseball cards. <laughs> yeah, one, exactly. <laughs> uh, I'm on board to do another one of these. You want to you keep the ball rolling next yeah. week? Can we just do it right now? Uh, you know, I would, but uh, I don't want to. Oh. So uh, let's just wait a week. Okay. And uh, <laughs> we'll come up with some, some more great topics. Uh, just a reminder to everybody, if you would like to follow us, we are on the social media. We are on both uh, Twitter and Instagram. We can be found at 2 Strike Noise. That is at T-W-O Strike Noise. We post a whole lot of stuff, and we're going to have a whole lot of stuff to post from this show specifically. Uh, also, check out the show notes. We'll have links to all of the videos and, and stuff that we've talked about. And uh, also remind you to uh, rate, subscribe, wherever you might be listening to us. That helps us out. Uh, and every uh, rating or subscription we get, uh, Mark gets a piece of gum from these wax packs. So and please, boy, do I love it. <laughs> it's some good stuff. He's still chewing the stuff from three weeks ago. Yeah. It, so it's almost yeah. soft. You know, what is that dust they put on it, man? Is it like baby powder? It doesn't taste right. <laughs> it's probably what it is. Mm. Or it's made out of babies. Mm. One of the two. Like baby I, oil. I, I, nope. I don't think baby oil's made from I don't think they squeeze babies to get the baby oil you out sure? of babies. It's like Pretty vegetable positive. oils made of vegetables. I'm just saying. Yeah, I don't think it works that way. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you uh, for joining us uh, for Mark A. Johnson. I'm Jeff Paulson, and this has been Two Strike Noise. Thank you. God bless you. Have a great day. Uh